Greetings, Timajilam. Karibuni sana tena. We are now on our 13th episode of the Axe series. Ha, ah, to call almost, guys. We have two more left after this. Uh, it may, it actually, it's one message that will be in two parts. We haven't decided yet. That's yet to be decided. However, we are on our 13th episode. We have come this far. You have come this far. And this is so dope. And I'm so glad that you've come this far. Now, today, today, we're going to be looking at Acts 12. Okay? We're going to be looking at Acts 12. And the thing is, is that why this is kind of coming to the culmination and the end of the Acts series, yet it's a book that has more chapters in this. In fact, it reaches uh, Paka, I believe it's 28. Need to go check. However, the thing is, is that after from this point on, from, uh, from chapter 12, what we see is where it now gets into us looking at Paul's journey, evangelical journey of him going to basically go and spread the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. And so really this now focuses in on Paul's ministry journey um, from chapter 12 moving forward. And the way that I would prefer for us to be able to look at this is basically now to begin to go into Paul's letters um, that he wrote to the churches during this time and this period um, that happens um, in, in, in the book of Acts towards the end of his ministry journey for us to now look at his letters and do that. So that is what we're going to be doing where then after we finish Acts we're going to start looking at Paul's letters to be able to just look at the things that he taught the church. Sour? Sour. Remember Paul was the guy who was the, the minister to the Gentiles and us guys are Gentiles so we're going to go look at the, the apostle to the Gentiles and the things that he taught us. Um, about the faith. Amen. Now, let's read Acts 12 from verse 1 to 19. This is what we're going to read today. Acts 12 from verse 1 to 19. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of, of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains. Two chains! And, <laughs> and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at 
the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when, he, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Hallelujah! Amen to the word of God. Now, the church had overcome the first phase of persecutions. Now, the first phase of persecutions were the persecutions that were being done by Saul. Okay? If you remember Saul, whom we've been learning about for the last, like, two, 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 two weeks, okay, was the guy who was persecuting the church. And now that he had become a believer, right, things have calmed down, okay? Now, in chapter 11, the previous chapter to this chapter that we just read, we read that the church is growing. It's growing now. Again, it's back to the same thing. The church from the very beginning, if you remember, from Acts 2 has been growing. And in Acts 11, it continues to talk about the growth that is happening within this church. But the thing that's so interesting is, is that this growth is not just happening with the Jews. It is now happening amongst the Gentiles. Because if you remember, after the story of Cornelius, which we learned about last week, the church now was like, aha, so the gospel is also for the Gentiles. And so some of the believers begin to start to minister to the Gentiles, okay? Now this is what's happening, right? And now the thing that's so interesting is, is that actually in Acts 11, it says that in the church of Antioch, and what I love about the church of Antioch is one of the most incredible churches, but yet no one knows who started that church. It was one of the most incredible churches, but no one knows who started it because it was started by the believers. It was started by the disciples, right? There's no like famous disciple who started this church in Antioch. But anyway, the church in Antioch is where it says that the believers were first called Christians. If you remember, before they were called the members of the way, right? Now they had a name, Christians, meaning that the, the religion, right, was growing rapidly to the extent that now they had been given a name, not just like a nickname of guys of the way. Now they had a name, Christians, okay? Then in comes chapter 12. King Herod, what he does is that he arrests some of these Christians Right? Because he wanted to appease the Jews. Because he was a guy who wanted to appease the Jews. This is the same Herod, right? Let me tell you, this Herod family is interesting. This Herod here is actually the guy who is the grandson to the Herod during Jesus' time who was trying to kill all the babies when he heard that there was a king who was to be born from the, 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 the magicians. And he hears that there's a king who is supposed to be born and they wanted to sacrifice to him. Remember that Herod who basically killed almost all the children in Bethlehem in trying to kill King Jesus? This is the guy's, this is the grandfather of this Herod, right? In fact, which is interesting, the same was up. They're all just trying to persecute anything that Jesus is trying to do, right? So they're, they're trying to, his grandfather is trying to kill Jesus, his grandson is trying to kill anyone who believes in Jesus. Interesting enough is that this guy is actually also the father to King Agrippa. If you remember in the Saul, uh, the two weeks ago when we talked about Saul's uh, repentance, 
and his conversion. If you remember, there was a guy called King Agrippa in Acts 26 that we read about. King Agrippa is the son to this King Herod. All right? Sour. Now, he knows that this, this, this Herod, because he's trying to appease um, um, these, these, these Jews, is that uh, man and also his uncle, Sorry, this is just something that just good. His uncle <laughs> was the guy that beheaded John the Baptist, man. This family has just been against the gospel for a long time, okay? Anyway, this is a random piece of information. So anyway, this guy knows that he's trying to, you know, he's trying to appease the Jews. And he knows that these guys are fiercely opposed and very jealous of the Christian faith. And so because the faith is growing so rapidly, signs and wonders, and many people are coming to the faith, these Jews obviously are very jealous against this, 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 this uh, Christian faith, which is spreading like wildfire, right? And now what he does is that he begins to start killing Christians, right? This is now Herod, and he comes and he arrests some of them. And what happens is this, if you think about this, actually, interesting enough, is that this is actually, when you think that already when we were looking at it earlier, and seeing how the church had grown. By the time we were looking at Acts 4, there were about 10,000. Now imagine, this is now Uko in the beginning. This is now 12 years since the day of Pentecost. Right? This is a 12-year period that has already elapsed. So you can imagine how much the church has grown up until this point. Right? That if there were 10,000 Uko in the beginning, I'm sure now there's like hundreds of thousands right, who have come to faith in, in this. And so it's spreading like welfare and the Jews are jealous. And so Herod, in trying to appease these guys goes and he starts to arrest Christians and he does and he arrests one of their leaders, one of their prominent leaders, which is James. And so the thing is this, is that James is put to death. Now this James who is put to death, right? This James who is put to death is the James who, if you remember in the 12 disciples that Jesus had, there were three guys that were really close to Jesus. That was James, John, and uh, Peter, right? This is the James that, that was killed by Herod here. This is that James who was killed um, um, by Herod. He's one of the guys who was in the inner, inner squad of, of Jesus' uh, 12 disciples. Okay? Now, the thing is, is that what Herod sees is that this pleased the Jews very much because obviously James was a prominent leader within this Christian community, right? He was one of the founders, <laughs> one of the founding members, right? So he's, he's um, obviously pleased. It pleased, the, it pleased the Jews very much to see this guy being murdered. And so because Herod is like, ah, man, I'm here gaining the approval of these Jews. Let me go after another one of their prominent leaders, which is now Peter. And so he goes and he arrests Peter. But the thing is this, Peter is over here in prison awaiting his execution. But the thing is this, is that the, the, the reason why the execution doesn't happen is because there's something that is happening during that period and that time. During that time when he arrests Peter, it is during the Passover. And specifically, the Passover was one day, but specifically during that period is what is called the Festival of Unleavened Bread. Okay? This was a period that happened between that time. Now, this was a, one of the, the many uh, festivals and uh, um, and the Passover was a, was a holy day. That's actually where the phrase holiday comes from, right? It's a holy day, okay? So the Passover was happening, and the Passover happening, then we have the festival of the unleavened bread, and all this is detailed in the book of uh, Leviticus, right? And the thing about the book of Leviticus is it actually details all these things that were supposed to happen for the Jews. These were appointed festivals by 
God where he said these are the days and these are the holy days you will observe and these are the festivals that you will observe okay now one of the things that I have come to understand just or rather really just actually understand from studying the scripture is that there are many times where you read something and oftentimes it appears as as a, as a piece of random information right like Luke here mentioning that this whole period and this whole thing is happening during the festival of unleavened bread and you look at that and you're like oh, that's a random piece of information where he's just contextually but actually what I consistently find is that oftentimes whenever there's some random piece of information that is put in there oftentimes it means something it holds some significance right and I think that this is one of those situations where Luke mentioning that this is happening during the festival of unleavened bread is actually something quite significant for us to look into all right now the festival of unleavened bread right which is the time when this whole thing for Peter is happening is mentioned in Leviticus 23 now the thing about this festival is that it was so incredibly important that it's literally mentioned right after the Sabbath. So when God is here talking about the holy days and the festivals, he talks about the Sabbath in Leviticus 23. And as soon as he talks about the Sabbath, the very next holy day that he speaks of is the Passover. Then he says within the Passover, which happens on the first day, the next seven days is the festival of unleavened bread. And let me read it from Leviticus 23, 4 to 8, where it says, These are the Lord's appointed festivals, the sacred assemblies you are to proclaim at the appointed times. The Lord's Passover begins at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. On the 15th day of that month, the Lord's festival of unleavened bread begins. For seven days you must Eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. For seven days, present a food offering to the Lord. And on the seventh day, hold a sacred assembly and do no regular work. Now, this thing starts off with the Passover, which was a holy day. Okay. Now, the thing about the Passover was celebrated because it was there to commemorate the time during the times when the children of Israel were in Egypt and enslaved in Egypt, where God through the judgment of uh, the angel of death who was coming to kill the firstborn sons, what he tells the Israelites is that the angel of death who is going to come, that the way that he would pass over their homes is that if they paint the doorposts of their homes with the blood of a lamb, okay? That they were to go and get a lamb, right? And paint the doorposts um, uh, of, of their homes with that, the blood of that lamp. And through that, what would happen is, is that when the day of judgment would come, the moment of judgment would come, that the angel of death would pass over their homes. What I love so, so amazing, what's so amazing about the Passover is that it is literally a reminder and it's a replica of what exactly Jesus Christ does for us. That it is through his death and his shedding of his blood, that when we put our faith in him, that then God's judgment passes over us because of the blood of the lamb, the unblemished lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so this, is, this Passover is very symbolic of what Jesus has done for us, that through him, because of his shedding of his blood and through our faith in him, God's judgment passes over us. Amen? Woo! Now, the next seven days after the Passover, after this holy day, 
is what is called the festival of unleavened bread, which lasts for seven days, right? Now, this is the period in which Peter has been in prison, okay? And now it says, obviously, because, and the thing is, Herod knew this. Herod knew that you don't execute people during the holy days, and Peter was also a Jew. So during these holy festivals, we don't, we don't do such things. We don't bring people to trial. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a time of, uh, it's a festival. We don't do that, right? But the point was, is that as soon as the festival was over, that the very next day, that the very next day was the day that they were supposed to execute uh, Peter, okay? Now, the thing that we find, having talked about all this, right, is that in both the Old and the New Testament, is that there is some very significant events that have happened during this festival of unleavened bread throughout the Old and the New Testament. And allow me to name a few. The first one is, if you look at when the Israelites were released from Egypt, from bondage in Egypt, this happened during that seven-day period after the Passover. This happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. This is that period of time when that happened, when they were released from bondage in Egypt. The miraculous crossing, when the disciples, I mean the disciples, when the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, that period when they crossed the Red Sea and the most incredible, I don't know if there's anyone who doesn't know about this miracle, about how God parted the Red Sea. That th moment happens during that seven-day period after the Passover, right? Are we together? Where literally God delivers the children of Israel from their enemies, which is the Egyptians. In the book of Joshua, the very famous story, and we've talked about this if you go to the Joshua series, where the walls of Jericho coming down, if you remember that story of the walls of Jericho coming down, that happens during this seven-day period of the festival of unleavened bread. In fact, if you remember how when God tells them that they need to march around the city seven times for seven different days, that what's happening right there is this period. Of, that happens right after the Passover, which is what they call the festival of unleavened bread, where the walls of Jericho come down. This is what happens during this time. In the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 30, in the time in the reign of King Hezekiah, where there's this, this, this um, rededication of the people of Israel, who for a long time had been worshipping Baal, and they had been worshipping the, 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 the Asherah, poles and all these foreign gods and what happened is this is and in second corinthians uh, chronicles is where uh, uh, the children of israel are, are rededicating their, themselves back to god and through this period where they're rededicating themselves back to god it's this amazing festival and this celebration that's happening because they're rededicating their lives back to god and they're breaking down all these you know uh, idols that had been had been had been raised and all these things that are happening and now the thing is that that period that where this is happening is the festival of unleavened bread this is when this is happening and probably in the New Testament, the most significant moment in all history, in my opinion, right? The resurrection of Jesus Christ happened during the festival of unleavened bread. This is when 
the resurrection of Jesus Christ happens, right? It's during this period. And so what we see is that there's a number of significant events in biblical history that happened during this festival of unleavened bread. And so the question is, what does this have to do with Acts 12? Right? Now that I've said all these things, that all these significant things are happening in Acts 12, here's the thing. On the very last day of this festival, we are told a most remarkable story about Peter, where he is securely being guarded by two guards, and there are two who are watching over there, standing at the, in front, and there are two that he's chained to. Right? He's sleeping between two soldiers, and he's bound in chains. And then suddenly an angel appears. Right? And this angel comes, wakes him up, and literally as he wakes him up, the chains fall off of Peter, right? His wrists. And then the angel proceeds to bust him out of prison without a single person knowing what was happening. This thing was so remarkable that even Peter himself thought he was dreaming. That's how remarkable this thing was. The guy is just like, this must be a dream. How the gates are just opening, I'm just here walking, whatever. And it was only when the guy gets out that he's just like, hey, yeah, this is actually a thing that's really actually happening. But here is the thing. Prior to all these things happening, we see something where we are told in verse 5 that after James has been killed, after James has been murdered, it says here that Peter is arrested. And in verse 5 it says, so Peter was kept in prison. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Peter was headed to his death just like James. But, 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 the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Here is what I believe that God is saying to us through this story and what he's emphasizing to us. It is what God has been saying and has been saying so many times. I think I've mentioned this thing in probably almost every series that we've probably done. I think Joshua, prayer series for sure, kingdom series, I'm not sure if we mentioned it, but we're going to mention it again today, right? That when we pray together, things happen. When we pray together, things happen. I believe that the reason why we see this whole scenario happening at the time of this festival is because, is because God is showing us that when we pray together, when we join in prayer for one another, he will free us from bondage. He will destroy our enemies. He will make seas part. He will make walls come down. He will cause us to experience revival. He will resurrect us. He will cause chains to fall off. My friends, what I want us to understand today is that when we pray together, heaven moves. In this story of Peter, we are shown what the power of the church praying for him yielded. In Acts 2.42, it says that the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And then it says that then they were filled with awe and many wonders at the signs performed by the apostles. In Acts 4, if you remember, we covered this. We see the believers praying where it says, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. 
And the result of that was that the place in which they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, themselves, themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Here's the thing. I have become increasingly convinced that it is incredibly important incredibly important to have people around you that you can regularly pray with. In Matthew 18 and verse 19, it says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. My friend, if you are facing great obstacles, if the enemy has come like a flood, if you're in need of revival, if you're in need of resurrection, if you're in need of chains to be broken, you need to inform your prayer squad. And here is the thing. If you do not have one, you need to form one where you all agree to diligently pray for one another. Where you dedicate yourselves to praying together and to praying for one another. Those are two different things. Where you dedicate yourselves to praying together. And to praying for one another, where you take on each other's needs and go into your individual prayer closets and pray for one another. And then there's also praying together. You know, the thing is, a few weeks ago, I was in a, I was in a bit of a funk. In fact, at the time for me, it felt like I was having the most incredible crisis of faith. <laughs> right? I was just like, oh my God, this is so, CK knows. <laughs> I was telling her about it. Right? And then during this time, the thing is that I remember watching, uh, I was watching uh, a friend's stories on, on Instagram and she was giving a testimony about how she was going through a, a funk, right? I don't know what, she didn't explain what, what exactly was going on. But anyway, she talks and then she says how she called on her prayer squad to pray for her. And then she was sharing basically how God came through for her and was just talking about how I'm so amazing. Now, the thing that stood out to me so like vividly was, oh, so she went through a funk and her way of resolving that was she went and she called upon her prayer squad to pray for her. Now, usually why that stood out to me is because for me, whenever I'm in a funk, you know what I'm saying? I just want to nangana through this thing. I, I, must see, I must see myself on the other side, you know. I go and I'm just there, Lord, help me, you know. And I just, you know, rally through this thing, right? But the thing is, I just usually just stew there in this battle and God will help me on the other side somehow. Because I'm sure he goes and he gets other people to go and basically pray for me. But when I saw this story of my friend, I was like, bet. I was like, I have a prayer squad. I have people that I know who like we pray together with, who can pray for me, whatever. So what I did is that I basically sent out a, a, kind, a kind of SOS to a few of my, my peeps, right? Yo, pray for me, man. A bit, a bit of a funk. Uh, you know, my friends, I kid you not, man. I kid you not. I kid you not. It was a matter of hours. It was literally a matter of hours. When God literally, miraculously pulled me out, divinely pulled me out of that mental space that I was in. And literally everything completely turned around. 
when I saw that, that's when I was like, aha, major keys. This guy, Peter, was in chains between guards. And not only was he in between guards, the guy was asleep, but the church was earnestly praying for him. And an angel comes to wake him up. You know, this is very similar to this story that I've told before in the prayer series where I talk about the faith of friends can move mountains, which is the story in Luke 5 of the paralyzed man whose friends would not give up until they had presented their friend before Jesus. This man was paralyzed on a mat and his friends carried him and they literally went and lifted him up on a roof of where Jesus was. There was too many people in the crowd, but they didn't give up. They lifted this man up and they cut a hole in another person's house. And they literally lowered this guy in front of Jesus. And it says that when Jesus saw their faith, not his faith, when he saw their faith, Jesus healed that man. Here is the thing that I have realized now as I think and I look and as I reflect on these scriptures is that I realize that it is important for us and in fact for myself that I have decided to be very intentional about this that I will intentionally put together my prayer squad of people whom I will share things I need prayer for and who too I can share, they can share their prayer requests with me. And the thing is, is that for us to commit to diligently praying for one another, basically putting together a prayer squad of people that I trust, people that I, people that I know who I can be able to share the things that I'm going through and the thing, and they can share the things that they're going through with me and that we can commit to praying diligently for one another. But not only just that, but I've also been decided that I'll be intentional about basically gathering my prayer squad as often as is possible so that whether it's virtually or physically, right? Meaning that it's just, yeah, I'm not talking about many guys, I'm talking about a small group of, 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 of individuals, right? Right now, my, my prayer squad is very, it's tiny, right? Doesn't have more than five people, right? <laughs> okay. Um, it went from three to, to, to actually, it's, right now, it's at, it's at three. But I wouldn't want it to go more than five, which is like the maximum. But anyway, the point is this, even... And as one part of us being able to pray for one another, it's also being able to be intentional about us gathering together virtually or, 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 or physically so that we can pray together for issues that matter to us, right? If you recall in Acts 2.42, it says that they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Devotion is something that is intentional. This is not a thing that they are just their vibes devotion they devoted themselves and so for me the thing is this is that i believe that god is challenging all of us to do the same that there are things in our lives that we need breakthroughs for that we need to bring to each other for prayer in acts 4 they prayed for boldness to preach the word and they got it there are things in this country, in your community, there are things that are happening all around us that we need to get together and bring these things before God in prayer. What God is saying to us today is that if you want to see bondages broken, if you want to see seas part, if you want to see walls falling, if you want to see revival happening, if you want to see chains being broken, then pray together. Pray together.
Our Father has always been about the collective. That's even now when you go even to the prayer series, you, the thing that, we, that I teach about, the Our Father. That God is about the collective. That the thing is, is that he's imploring us that come to prayer with the needs of others and come to prayer together. Our Father is about the collective. And he loves it when his children come together. And he's saying to us that when we agree and come before him, he says that he will make things happen. And so my imploration to, to you today is that when we see what happens in Acts 12, is that would you also be intentional about forming a prayer squad? A small group of people whom you intentionally share with each other things that you need prayer for. So you share your needs and they share theirs. And you commit to diligently praying for one another. But not only that, that you would also, there's two parts to this, that you would also commit to praying, to spending, to, to, to creating time. To spend time praying together. Where you take on needs that are important to you. If you are angry about corruption, if you are angry about things that are happening within your community, if you want, if you desire that things would change for someone who is a part of your, of your family or someone who is, pray together, create time intentionally that you'd come together as a prayer squad and pray together. So you, one, like I said, communicate the needs that you have. And within your individual prayer closets that you diligently pray for one another, but also intentionally create time within you as a prayer squad to pray together. And I assure you that the promise of God here is that when we come together, heaven will move. Amen? Amen. I look forward to hearing about all the amazing different prayer squads that you guys will have formed. But this is the word of the Lord for us today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word today. Thank you, O King of Heaven, that you're calling us to come together. You're calling us to come together and to pray. Father, I pray for those of us who already have people that we pray with, that we would become more intentional about being able to gather together, to pray together and also being intentional about communicating our needs to each other, that we can pray for one another. But I pray also for those who do not have people that they pray with, that they would, that you would be able to cause them at this moment in time to see and to understand and to know who they can be able to come and form a little prayer squad with. Prayer squad with. And Father, I pray in Jesus' holy name, because you are the one who brings forth the word that you will confirm this word with every single person. That they will see the fruit of the obedience in being able to not just be hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. You are revealing to us that when we come together and pray, you make things happen. And I pray that those who are listening, that it would enter into their hearts, that they would not just hear, but they would then action and put this to action for the glory of your name and for the extension 
of your holy kingdom. For it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey guys, thank you so much for watching. Listen, if this message blessed you, please be sure to share it with someone whom you love. Share it with a friend, a colleague, anyone. And then also, listen, support us. Support this ministry so that we can be able to make more dope content and be able to spread this message of the kingdom to as many people as possible. And then make sure that you subscribe. Sawa, subscribe. Subscribe, wherever the button. Subscribe, subscribe. God bless you guys. Take